I'm going to read Haggai chapters 1 and 2. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for now I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries a holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. 
Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before the stone was placed upon the stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. All right, good morning. Kids, where are you guys at? Raise your hands up. Let me see them. All right, so my first question for you is, do your parents love you? How about thumbs up if they do, thumbs down if they don't? Hopefully there's no thumbs down. That would be bad. All right. Okay, now put them down. Okay, so your parents love you. That's, that's good news, right? Now let's say... You go home today, and you get to your house, and uh, your parents say, all right, you need to clean your room. You got to clean your room this afternoon. Day goes on, it's dinner time, they come to your room, and it's not clean. Do your parents still love you? Yes, right? They still love you. Now, what if you clean your room? And then they come to your room and they check it and you've cleaned it. Do they love you then? Do they love you the same? What do you think? That's a real question. Do you think your parents love you the same whether you clean your room or don't clean your room? What do you think? Yes. But they do. They love you the less. Like I, I would love my kids the same whether they clean the room or they don't clean the room. But the way that I express that love is probably going to be different depending on whether or not they clean their room, right? If they clean their room, I'm going to be like, you did a great job cleaning your room. Like, I I appreciate you. I love you. Like, thanks so much. If they didn't clean their room, I might express my love by saying, hey, I love you. You need to be somebody who cleans your room. Clean your room. Now. Right now. I'm going to stand here and watch you clean your room. Now. Yeah, I still love my kids, but, but the way that, that that love comes out into the world is, is different 
based on like whether, whether they do what they're supposed to do or, or don't do what they're supposed to do. And the reason why we're talking about that is because in our passage today, God comes to his people and he says, hey, you guys aren't doing this thing that you're supposed to be doing. God still loves his people in that moment, but he tells them that because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, he's been withholding his blessing from them. The way that he's been expressing his love to his people has been different because they haven't been walking in obedience. They haven't been doing what God has told them to do. And he wants to lavish and pour out his love on his people. So he wants them to walk in obedience so that he can bless them in those ways. He, he loves them. Uh, despite whether they, they're obeying him or not, but the way he is expressing that love is different. And so kids, I would encourage you to go home today and, and ask your parents about, about the good news that God loves us because of Jesus. And ask them about, about how or about, about why it matters that we still do what God says, even though Jesus has paid the penalty for us and for our sin. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll get into to Haggai 1 and 2 together this morning. Father, we thank you that you love your people with a a never-stopping, never-ending, never-giving-up kind of love. You are are committed to them. You're committed to us. And we thank you that you desire good things for us. You want us to, to walk in obedience to you, to do what you've called us to do, to live the life you've called us to live, because you know that's what's best for us. And you want good things for us. And so we pray that as we, as we look at your word today in, in Haggai, that, that you would uh, send your spirit, the same spirit that, that we see active in this book, to encourage us and, and convict us and, and build us up, to, to make us more like who you desire us to be uh, and less like who we are when we, when we rely on ourselves and depend on ourselves. Jesus, we thank you that you came to, to make a way for us who are unlovable to be lovable. That you came to make a way for us to, to, to be empowered, to walk in obedience, to become sons and daughters of God that, that can endure discipline and, and grow as children of God. We pray that you would just use our time together this morning to, to, to strengthen us through your word. It's in your name we pray, amen. So, for the last couple weeks, uh, we were in Habakkuk and Zephaniah, and we were around 620 BC. That's kind of the the time frame of those books. For Haggai, we jump forward about 100 years to, to 520 BC, and this is kind of like the first point in the Minor Prophets where we have a very specific date. It is 520 BC. It's not about 520 BC. It is 520 BC. And this is important, this time frame, because a lot has happened in this hundred year gap from where we were with Habakkuk and Zephaniah to where we are in Haggai. So first, in 586 BC, the the Babylonians came to town and they destroyed Jerusalem. They they destroyed the city, the walls, the temple, uh, and and all the people that are left are, are pretty much carried off into exile in Babylon. Then, about 50 years later, in 539 BC, this guy named Cyrus, uh, this Persian ruler, captures Babylon. A year after, he's 
captured Babylon, he issues this edict in 538 that says the Jews can go home to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So 538 BC, he sends the Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. You can read about this in the book of Ezra. That's what it's about. So at this point of Haggai, the Jews have been back in Jerusalem for 18 years. Within a year of being back in town, they rebuilt the foundation of the temple, and then they just kind of stopped there. And so it's been years, 18 years, where they haven't worked on it. And so Haggai is is prophesying to call the people to complete this work, to, to rebuild the temple. That's what he wants to take place. And so in the first verse of Haggai, we get kind of the when and the who. And there's a series of of five oracles in the book, and we have precise dates for all of them because he says this happened in this year of this guy's reign and this day of this month. Um, And so the the, the second year of Darius' reign, this Persian ruler who had taken over Babylon, is 520 B.C. The first day of the sixth month would make it August 29th on our calendar. So this is happening on August 29th, 520 B.C. So late summer, the word of the Lord comes by the hand of Haggai, and he's the messenger, and he's, he's giving it to these two guys. The first one is Zerubbabel. Now, I think Brooklyn pronounced it right, but Zerubbabel is in my brain and won't leave, and so I'm just going to say that the whole time. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and then second guy is Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. He's the high priest. So Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. He's he's heir to the, the Davidic throne, and you can read more of his story also in the book of Ezra. We'll also talk about him at the end of chapter two because he he comes up there. Joshua is going to come up in our next book in Zechariah. So in Haggai, the Lord is speaking to the the leaders of his people, uh, the governor and the high priest. And he says that the people are saying, it's not time to rebuild the temple. They're saying it's it's not time for us to work on this. But his question for them is found in verse four. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house, God's house, lies in ruins. So his point for them is that in in the period that they've been back, that they haven't just built houses for themselves. They've built houses for themselves and then they have have fitted those houses with some some really sweet, nice paneling, right? What what we all want in our homes. Uh, Obviously this, this wouldn't be a feature today. But in this time, it's, it's signifying that, that they've built homes and then they've, they've made those homes really nice, really luxurious. Like they've, they've worked a lot on the place where they live, but they haven't done anything for the temple. And so he asks them, the Lord through Haggai, asks the people to consider their ways. He says, you've, you've sown a lot of crops, but you've harvested little. You, you eat, but, but it's never enough. You, you drink, but it's never enough. You, you have clothes, but you're, but you're not actually warm. You earn wages, but, but they don't last. His point is that what they're doing is, is futile. It's, it's pointless. And so again, he asks them to consider their ways. He, he calls on them to, to go to the hills and, and gather wood and, and rebuild the temple so that he might take delight in their works, so that he might be glorified and worshiped in the temple. And then he explains in verses 9 through 11 while, that, that what they've been missing as they've been experiencing these things since they've been back to the land, what they've been missing is his blessing. 
He says that he's, he's blown away what they've gathered. He's withheld the dew and the harvest. He's sent drought uh, because the people have let the temple sit in ruins while they've been busying themselves with, with their own things and their own houses. So this is the message that he has for them. This is what Haggai is delivering to the people. And we see their response in, in the rest of chapter one. So Zerubbabel and Joshua and, and the remnant of all the people, they respond by obeying the voice of the Lord their God. They, they obey. Like that, that's how they respond. They, they do what he wants them to do. And look at how the Lord responds to their obedience. We see it in verse 13. He declares, I am with you. God says, you're, you're going to do this work. You're going to do what I want you to do. And so he's going to be with them. He's promised to be with them in their obedience. And this is something that we need to see, right? Because often as God's people, we think, like, I, I want to, to feel, I want to experience his presence. I want, I want the blessing of being in relationship with God. But sometimes we want those things without it actually requiring anything of us. Right, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do and God just be there for me when I want him. But that's just not the way it works. Right? God, God doesn't bless us in our sin. We don't experience the blessing of being in relationship with him when, when we're not with him in relationship. Now, of course, right? We're, we're still loved by him because of what Christ has done for us, right? We still experience the grace of the gospel because it's not based on my work or your work or my obedience or your obedience. It's based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But we can't deny that that disobedience is going to mean that we're going to miss out on some of what God has for us. Right, that he, he, he just isn't with us in our obedience like he is in, or he just isn't with us in our disobedience like he is in our obedience. And so that's what he tells the people. Right? He's telling them that they've been missing his blessing because they've been doing their own thing. They've been pursuing their own ends. They've been building up their own houses and their own kingdoms instead of doing what God wants them to do. And then when they repent, when they stop doing those things and then start walking in obedience, he blesses them with his presence. Right? They do what God desires. He joins with them. And then it says that he, he stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirs up the spirit of Joshua. He stirs up the spirit of, of the remnant of the people. And they go and they work on the temple. They, they begin to do what God has called them to do. Is he's empowered them to walk in obedience. And then the beginning of chapter 2, we, we get another message. This one comes on October 17th. So like a month and a half later, he, he gives this message. Haggai speaks to Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people. Now, now they're included. They're the recipients of the message. And he asks, have any of them seen the temple in, in its former glory? Like did they, did they see it when, it when it was at its zenith, when it was the best? They said, now it's not like that, right? It, it, it's like nothing in their eyes. But the Lord calls them to, to be strong, to, to work, because he says he's, he's with them. Again, he, he reiterates that the promise of his presence is going to be with them in their obedience. Verse 5, he says he's with them according to the covenant that he made with them when they came out of Egypt. 
Right, so even though the judgment has fallen, which we've, you know, heard about for all the minor prophets, even though they were exiled, they were carried off into Babylon, they've come back into the land, even though they've sinned again since they've been back in the land, they weren't doing what God has called them to do, God here reiterates that he is still their covenant God. He's still in relationship with them. He still loves them with a steadfast love that's not going in. Even though they really haven't changed after all the judgment has fallen, God hasn't changed either. He is still committed to his people. He's still keeping his covenant with them. He's still not going to give up on them. He says that his spirit still remains in their midst. Even though the temple isn't like it was, his spirit is still with them. And he's going to do a work in a little while that they're going to see where he's going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He's going to shake the nation. Treasure is going to, to flood into the temple. He's going to fill the temple with glory once again. He's saying, I'm going to restore this place to what it was like. He says the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. And in the temple, he will give peace to his people. In verse 10, another message comes. This one is like a couple months later. It's like December 18th. And it starts by, by asking the priests about the law. He asks about kind of this, you know, can, can a holy thing make unholy things uh, holy? And the answer is, is no. Can an uh, unclean thing make clean things unclean? The answer is yes. So he's asking them about holy versus unholy and clean versus unclean. He's saying that the people uh, like turn from their old ways when they begin to obey the Lord. The, the Lord uh, blesses them, the, the work of their hands, right? Everything that they were doing before they turned to the Lord, when they, when they were kind of building their own houses, when they were, you know, making those, those, those sweet, sweet panels for their homes, like they were unclean. They weren't doing what God had called them to do. They, they weren't pursuing holiness. And, and as they were offering those unclean things to the Lord, he says, you were struck with, with blight and mildew and hail. All, all their toil, it yielded less than it should have. And even when, when that was happening, they didn't turn to the Lord. But, but now, because the prophet has spoken and they've responded with obedience, now the Lord is with them. He's, he's blessing them. He's blessing their labors says that their seed in the barn, the, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, they're, they're all going to start yielding produce because the Lord has promised to bless them. He, he's responding to their obedience with blessing. And the book closes with, with another message on the same day. This message is, is specifically to Zerubbabel. And the Lord says that he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's, he's going to cause some things to happen. He's going to overthrow kingdoms. He's going to overthrow and destroy their strength. He's going to take down chariots and riders. But on that day, the Lord is going to take Zerubbabel and he's going to make him like a, like a signet ring because he's chosen him. And this, this is connected to what the Lord said about another king in the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 22, 24 through 27 says this, as I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, they shall not return. 
So Jeremiah is prophesying about what's going to happen to this king. Coniah is another name for Jehoiachin. If you listen to the Andrew Peterson Christmas album, you know that Jehoiachin is the one who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. And, and that's, that's true. Like, it's not, it's not all his fault, right? There's also idolatry and disobedience and years and years of rejecting God. But, but ultimately, kind of the event that led to that was that Jehoiachin is, is, is a liar, liar face. And he is also the grandpa of Zerubbabel. So because of his actions, Jehoiachin's actions, the Lord is saying in Jeremiah that, that even though he's the Davidic king, even though he's a, a signet ring, the Lord is going gonna, is gonna to take that off and he's going to give it into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is kind of taking the throne away from the, the Davidic king, which was a, a huge deal for the people because the, the promise of God said he's going to send a redeemer. They've been kind of tracing this promise throughout the Old Testament. It was ultimately going to come through the Davidic king. And so for that promise to happen, there always needed to be a Davidic king on the throne. And God said that that's what would take place. But then Jeconiah is, is, is disobeying. He's, he's running from the Lord. And so the Lord says, you're, you're done. You're, you're off the throne. I'm taking it away from you and I'm going to give it to the Babylonians. And he's carted off in exile and he dies in Babylon. He doesn't come back to the land. But now in Haggai, we've got his, his great grandson, Zerubbabel, his, his grandson, Zerubbabel. He's, he's still alive after the exile. He's come back to the land. God says he's going to set him apart. He's, he's going to make him a signet ring. He's, he's reclaiming the house of David as his signet ring. So the point here for us, this, this, this promise to the people is that God has preserved David's line through the judgment, through the exile, back into the land, this line of Judah who the promised redeemer is going to come. In fact, if we were to you know, flip over to Matthew and read Jesus' genealogy, we would find Zerubbabel there. The point is that despite God pouring out judgment on his people, he, he, God didn't just save a remnant. He also specifically saved Zerubbabel through the midst of the judgment so that there would be a way for the promise to still come to pass. Right, so that down Zerubbabel's line, this guy named Jesus could be born into the world as the promised redeemer, as the Davidic king, as the one who's going to take the throne and, and rule the people of God in his kingdom. Right? Zerubbabel walks in obedience. He's, he's blessed and chosen by God, and God uses him to make a way to bring the promise to fruition. So Haggai, this, this, this prophet, shows us Two things. The first thing is that it shows us that God is, is concerned for his name and his glory. Right? He, he doesn't want his people to, to be building up their own things, to be focused on their own pursuits and, and building their own houses. He wants his people to be focused on his kingdom and his house. So he calls the people to that. And the second thing Haggai shows us is that God's plan of redemption hasn't been thwarted by everything that's happened in the Old Testament. Right? Despite the judgment falling, despite the exile, even though things looked very bleak for the people of God, even though things looked very bleak for the promise, 
God made a way for it still to take place. He's still keeping his covenant with him. He's still upholding his promise. He's still sending the promised redeemer in, in Zerubbabel's existence, his, his life. The fact that he's reclaimed as the signet ring is, is proof that God is still going to keep his promise to his people. Judgment has fallen, but redemption and restoration is still possible. God is still sending Jesus and, and Zerubbabel's preservation, his, his survival makes a way for that to take place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that you, despite your people's rejection and rebellion, that you still upheld your covenant. And even today, despite the fact that, that we run away, that we, we build our own houses and, and, and chase after our own pursuits, that you still stay in a relationship with us. Father, we thank you that even though you poured out judgment on your people and, and exiled them into Babylon, that you not only kept a remnant alive, but you specifically kept Zerubbabel alive to make a way for, for the promise to, to, to continue, to, to go forth, to, to be passed on so that you could send the Redeemer that you had promised, so that there would be a king to take your throne, so that you could send Jesus into this world to, to redeem us, to redeem it, to fix what was broken, to, to usher in your kingdom, and to begin to, to take back your creation for yourself. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to, to help us to, to examine our lives, to, <clears throat> like you, encourage your people to, to consider our ways. That we would consider whether we're with you, walking in obedience, or whether we're rebelling against you and wondering why you're not present in our life. We thank you that you've made a way for us to, to repent, for our sins to be forgiven. You made it possible for us to turn to you. So we pray that you would help us to do that. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.